this message could have been given a variety of titles. I chose to give it the bread of heaven. It could have been watch what you eat. It could have been a number of things. And as you read John, the sixth chapter, you will come up with your own title for the message. And that's good. Because that's the way it should be. It should speak to you personally. It should speak to me personally. Pray with me, will you? Father in heaven, I am truly thankful for the blessings of life. We've come again to this time in the year. And we can only be so grateful. You've done so much for us, Lord, and we just thank you. Now bless us as we honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen. There were a number of people, a great multitude following Jesus. He had been performing a variety of miracles in the area, healing people from different diseases. And now, as we move into John, the sixth chapter, we see that Jesus feeds 5,000 men, it says. 5,000 men. But when you really look at this, he fed close to maybe 10,000 because it only says men. We haven't counted the women and we have not counted the children. Here he took five barley loaves and two fishes and fed a multitude of people, thousands of people. As a result, the people were impressed with Jesus. They were so impressed with Jesus that they wanted to make him a king. Just think for a moment. Here is a man who can, if we get injured in fighting the Romans, he can heal us. Here's a man that if we get hungry, he can feed us. He can be our king. Now, of course, Jesus understood what they were thinking. And knowing their intent, he sent his disciples away in the boat. He dismissed the crowd. And he himself went up into a mountain to pray alone to his father. But the next day... There were some in the crowd who would not give up. And they were determined to find Jesus. And so they went in their boats to another section on the north side of the sea, Tiberias Sea. But they couldn't find Jesus there. So they went to another section, Capernaum. And there they found Jesus. And listen to the question that they asked him. They said, Lord, how did, how did you get here? We know that you did not enter the boat with your disciples. So how did you get here? But Jesus ignored their inquiry because he read their hearts. There's something about Christ. He reads our hearts. And this is why we can't really judge the motives of people because we can't read their hearts. But God can read the hearts of people. And he knows exactly what you're up to. He knows exactly what your intent is. And so Jesus says, you seek me not because you saw the miracles or the signs yesterday. You came looking for me because you really wanted more food. That's why you really came to me. 
So Jesus, recognizing their motive for pursuing him, were not out of a desire for spiritual hunger, but for physical hunger. They wanted their physical hunger to be fulfilled. Jesus told them, he says, don't labor for food that will perish, but for the food that will give them everlasting life, which he could give them. Well, they said, what shall we do then that we might work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now we can go to John 17, 3, because Jesus talks about that again, about life eternal. In John 17, 3, he says, and this is eternal life, that they might know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then again, these Jewish people pursuing Jesus, wanting to make him a king, but really now wanting food to eat, more food to eat, they began to say, well, show us a sign. Show us a sign. Now, Jesus had been performing miracles. He had been healing people. He fed over 5,000 people. And you say, show me a sign? What more do you need to believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Why are you asking Jesus for another sign? And then they go on to, to, to try to minimize the miracle that Jesus performed by talking about their father, gave them manna to eat while in the wilderness, while in the desert. And Jesus told them that it was not Moses who gave you the manna, but God. In fact, God gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You know, we look at Matthew 12. We look at Matthew 12. And we know that these Pharisees and Sadducees, they're always looking for a sign. Always looking for a sign. Matthew 12, verses 38 and 39. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Talking about the fact that he will be buried for three days, just like Jonah was buried for three days in the belly of a well. Jesus was giving all kinds of signs, all kinds of miracles, but the problem was they did not believe. They did not believe. Jesus had been healing all these diseased people. And just the day before, just the day before, he fed thousands of people with five barley loaves and two fishes. That's a miracle. But they didn't believe. They totally ignored what Jesus had done. Another sign, another miracle (laughs) would not have convinced them about Jesus. But Jesus said he was the living bread. 
The people said, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus, in one of his I am statements, says, I am the bread of life. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You have seen me. You observe the things that I've done. But yet you don't believe. Jesus continues this narrative by telling them that he is sent from the Father. Those who believe in him may have everlasting life and he will raise him up at the last day in the resurrection. But the Jews refuse to believe in Jesus. So if what happens after a point, they begin to get personal. Now, isn't this Joseph's son? Who boy is this? Talking about he came down from heaven. Isn't this Joseph's son? And we know him and his mother and father? Who, who, who does he think he is to say that he has come down from heaven when his parents, we know? The Jews began to quarrel when Jesus continued to talk about having come down from heaven. I am the living bread which come down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. You, aren't you going a little bit too far here <laughs> to tell us? Uh, you, you, you've told us that you are the bread sent from, from heaven. And now you're telling us that the bread is your flesh. And that we have to eat your flesh. He says he gives his flesh. Which I shall give for the life of the world. And Jesus here is referring simply to his crucifixion. This statement led the Jews to quarrel again amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And as Jesus goes deeper in his explanation. The Jews goes deeper in their misunderstanding of what he was saying to them. Jesus said, when you read the verses 53 to 58, you begin to see that Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now picture yourself for a moment. What would you be thinking Hearing these words coming from Jesus, a man that you held in high esteem, who you saw healed a variety of diseases, and he's telling you to eat his flesh and drink his blood. There you are in the crowd. What do you think? What do you say? What do you do? Well, these people ended up leaving, but not the 12. Although Jesus knew that of the 12, there was one, there was one who was going to betray him. So what's the problem here? The problem is in communication. Where the Jews were thinking on a literal, physical level, Jesus was talking on a spiritual level level they didn't get it they didn't really want to get it the conversation was about food one physical 
literal, the other spiritual. And this is a problem. Communicating on one level and understanding on another. You know, that happens to us sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes you could be talking to someone and they're saying something to you and you misunderstand exactly what they're saying. Or they misunderstand what you're saying. Because you're on two different levels, two different perspectives, two levels of understanding about a particular topic. You're trying to communicate something, but that person has not yet come to the point where they believe as you believe or understand as you understand. And there becomes a problem in communication. And obviously the Jews had a problem with Jesus. They had a problem understanding where he was coming from, what he meant when he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Eating the flesh of Jesus is not the same as the eating of food. Jesus is referring to his spiritual bread, the word of God. This is what we are to be reading and eating. This is what he's talking about. Being accepted and internalizing the values that are in the word of God. It's an act of belief. It's an act of faith in Jesus. Allowing his values to take over our lives. The flesh or the body of Jesus was broken for us on the cross to pay for our death penalty, which we all deserve as sinners. If we confess our sins, turn away from our sins, and believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and follow his steps of obedience, we will live. And this is what Jesus was trying to tell the Jews. You can live, but you have to eat my flesh. You have to drink my blood. Not literally, but figuratively. That's what you have to do. Jesus was not speaking as a cannibal or cannibalistically. He was speaking figuratively. And the Jews did not get it. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, Jesus talks to us and we don't get it. We're sometimes just like the Jews. Sometimes we don't get it. Jesus made an earnest effort to try to communicate to him, staying in these I am statements all through this context of John, the sixth chapter, and you can read it for yourself. And Jesus is trying his best to convey to them that he is the eternal one. He is the anointed one. The flesh of the body of Jesus is broken on the cross. Internalizing and eating his body His words, as revealed in scripture, will change us. You believe that? Has it changed you? Has it really changed you? When we read the Bible and internalize those values that are written therein, it can change us. It will change us if we give the Spirit of God permission. You know, the thing about it, brothers and sisters, we have to give God permission to do his work in us. God is not a God of force, so he's not going to force his way into our lives. He's looking for us to give him permission to say, Lord, here I am. Take me and use me any way you choose. You've heard the text, 
Genesis 9, 4. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Now, this is one of the things, too, that the Jews realized that they weren't supposed to eat blood. They were supposed to not eat it at all. And so when Jesus is talking about drinking his blood, they were a little confused. They did not understand the spiritual aspect of what Jesus was saying to them. Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Life is in the blood. The life that we desire in terms of eternal life is in the blood of Jesus. You believe that? The blood of Jesus gives us life. And what Jesus was trying to do was tell these Jews, you can have life eternally if you accept my blood, if you accept my broken body. Jesus' blood is life-saving because as Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Jesus, and I like this word propitiation. Jesus, he himself is a propitiation for our sins. He is the atonement for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. Do you believe that? Now, if you know that Jesus is the propitiation, the atonement for the whole world, and that he has appeased the demands of a God whose law has been broken, then who are you going to tell? There are people who don't know what you and I know. They don't know that there's a God who loves them so much that he was willing to become a baby. Now, the the, the finite mind cannot comprehend God becoming an infant, a little baby, crying in his mother's arms. It's mind-boggling. To think about, to think about God becoming a baby. But he became a baby in order to save you, in order to save me. But God is not letting us off the hook. He said, now you say you love me and you're following me. So now do the work that I've left you to do. There are people out there who need to hear the message about how much I love them. I love them. I love you. And I love them. They may not be doing what I've asked them to do, but you do what I've asked you to do and tell them and show them the love of God. Yes, we can thank the Lord for Jesus covering our sins, paying our debt. And without the blood of Jesus, we would have no hope. No hope, brothers and sisters. But we have hope today. Amen? 
We have hope in the blood of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for being our precious substitute. Yes, thank you. Praise you. My flesh, in verse 55, he says, My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Many people are offended at the thought of this. And I can imagine that the Jews were offended. They were offended. Jesus talking like this, eating my flesh and drinking my blood. But the cross is offensive. The cross is offensive. And this statement puts the offense of the cross in full view. The reason why the Jews didn't understand, because Jesus said in 63, the words that I speak to you are spiritual. They are spiritual. And the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. So you sometimes you wonder why people don't accept what you're teaching them from the word of God. It's because they have not been converted. They have not been born again. That's why. Today we've gathered to celebrate that spiritual message that Jesus was trying to get to the Jews to understand. Communion. It's a high Sabbath, brothers and sisters. Communion is a high Sabbath. In partaking of the Lord's Supper, we believe that his broken body and spilled bloods was for the remission of sin in our lives. This we do in remembrance of what he has done. What has he done? What has Jesus done? What has he done for you? He saved you. He made it possible for you to be saved. He made it possible for you to be saved. And all you have to do is claim it by faith. In remembrance. So what do we remember? We remember that Jesus died on the cross. But we also remember that there was a reason why he died on the cross. The reason Jesus died on the cross is because there were a whole group of people who were known as sinners and needed a savior. And they could not save themselves. They needed someone who could lay down his life and pick it up again. They needed God to come and rescue them. So when I look back and I see Jesus on the cross and I think of his giving of himself, I also have to think of the fact that my sin, that sin put him on that cross. I'm a sinner. Put him on the cross. Yes, it makes me take a look at me and my attitude. Communion is more than just a memorial. This powerful symbolic ceremony shapes our thinking and it brings life to life, deep spiritual truths in very concrete ways. It shapes our identity as a people who have that blessed assurance that God has redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm so thrilled to know 
But as I look, as I look at my own life, and I look at my own life, and I can see how God pulled me out of the pit. I don't know about you, but God has pulled me out of the pit, and he is trying his best to urge me on toward higher ground, higher ground. You think you've gone high enough, Carl? No, higher ground yet. You've got a bad attitude, Carl. Higher ground yet. Keep going. Just because that person won't speak to you, don't bother about that. You just keep going higher. Look unto Jesus. God loves us, brothers and sisters. So he gave us communion to remind us not only of his love, but our condition. Let me just share with you a few more things and I'll close. The experience of communion is realizing that it is a command to remember. Someone mentioned to me the other night that it's a command. Communion is a command. Do this in what? Remember some of me. It didn't say how many times we should do it, how often we should do it, but when you do it, remember what I've done for you. Remember why I did what I did. Because of your condition and because of my love for you. My love for you. Remember the death of our Lord. Looking back. Looking back and seeing how God has come and saved me, redeemed me. But also looking at the fact that I needed redemption. Looking ahead to the victory over death at the resurrection, as well as his second coming to the earth. Are you looking forward? Are you looking forward to Jesus coming? Are you eagerly waiting for the second coming of Jesus? Remember that communion is a time of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You know how excited you get about Thanksgiving because you're going to go home and cook a meal and you're going to be with family and friends and all that? (laughs) This is a greater Thanksgiving, brothers and sisters, than that. You should be more excited about the Thanksgiving of communion than Thanksgiving on in November. The Thanksgiving that God has provided for us in the redemption through his blood will give us eternal life. All you're going to do is eat that whatever it is you eat and then eventually die. Just like he told the Jews. That manna that you had in the desert You ate and you died. But if you eat of mine, my bread from heaven, you will live forever. If you accept my principles, if you accept my ways, if you accept my mind, if you accept my humility, if you accept my love, if you accept my way of forgiveness, if you accept the way I do business, you will live eternally. Remember, remember who we are, sinners in need of a Savior. You know, it's something about God. It says, God became broken that we could become fixed. God has a way of taking broken things, and we are broken as sinners, and making them just like brand new. 
God is taking us as broken sinners and remaking us as if we're like brand new. Praise God. Another thing about communion, brothers and sisters, is a time of refreshing, a time of renewal, a time of reconnecting with God and with each other, a time of building on the relationship that we have with God and one another. Lastly, communion with God is a personal moment. It's personal. It's between you and God. This personal moment with God impacts our heart. It impacts our minds. It impacts how we live. Not just on the seventh day, but every day. It, it impacts how we talk. It impacts what we watch, what we listen to. So brothers and sisters, I just wanted to remind us today Communion is special. It's more special than we could ever realize. And Jesus has called us to remember today. To remember a variety of things. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little out of the ordinary on communion day. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer, but up front. You see, we need, we're we're told that we have to examine our hearts. And we do need to do that. I don't know your heart. You don't know mine. But what we do know is that we know God's heart. And we know God has a pure heart. And I just want to offer someone today who's been struggling would like to come and have prayer of rededication. If there is such a person, I invite you to come now. This is is a special time, brothers and sisters. It's a special time of renewal of saying, Lord, I love you and, and, and I know you love me and I need to love my fellow man as well, my brothers and sisters. I need to be able to get along with them. We may not always agree, but we need to get along. So I just want to invite those of you who feel the urge, the need to come and say, Lord, have mercy on my soul to come. Because only God knows our hearts. Only God knows our hearts. I'm going to ask as much as possible that we kneel together and we'll pray. Lord God in heaven, 
You see your people, Lord. You see us kneeling here because we recognize that we need to come up higher in our walk with you. The way we've been is not the way we need to be. And so today we come surrendering ourselves to you, giving ourselves totally and completely to you, Lord, to do with whatever you choose to do. I know that you have something to do. Every single one of us have a gift or gifts we can use glory of God. And I pray that you will help to be able to do that. Show us, Lord, exactly what you want us to do. We need you, Lord. All we have to do is look around the world and see what's going on. And we know that your spirit is slowly being withdrawn from the earth. But we need your spirit in our hearts. So I pray that no matter what the concern of each heart is today, that you would be with each person. That you will satisfy the need in their hearts. I thank you and I praise you, O God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.